1: But you're the filet o fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time.
0: And if you love the filet o fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba da ba ba ba.
2: Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host Alan. We are in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, today's guest is going to be a. It's going to be a fun one. You may have seen his art uh, in the multi-purpose art gallery at Munson Brothers.
3: Yeah, the multi-purpose art gallery slash family bathroom. That's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> also, you may be aware of uh, great art, man. Well, thank so, you. I don't. So. I
3: don't think of it as as art, but I, I appreciate the compliment. So, uh, Wade Leonard, everybody. That's me. You grew up here in Columbus? I grew up here in Columbus, uh, actually out in Lowndes County, but more or less I've lived in Columbus my whole life, yeah. Right on. So, uh, what about MSMS, big part of your life? Yeah, actually, um, I graduated from the Mississippi School for Math and Science back in uh, 1999, and somehow through a weird series of events about Ten years after the fact, ended up working at the school. Um, did that for almost ten years, but now uh, my day job is I work at the Honors College of Mississippi State University. Right on. So uh, just to walk it back, man, tell me a little bit about
2: growing up. What was you into?
3: Well, um, I was I was fortunate in the way that I grew up. You know, I had a wonderful mom, wonderful dad. It's 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 kind of an entire accident that we ended up growing it up in this part of the world. My dad's from North Florida, a little town called Bluntstown, Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, It's over by two egg in case you're trying to figure out where it is. And, um, my wife, my wife, my mom grew up in little rock and they met when they were in grad school down here when she was in grad school at the W and just basically never left. Um, and, you know, grew up, went to new hope, um, you know, again, sort of a, a different kind of situation than other kids. My dad was um, a very well known local character around here, Mark Leonard, in case anybody remembers Mark. Um, and what was he all about? My dad, yeah, um, my dad was something else, man. He was a, a natural storyteller, he was he loved. These things in this order: his family, the University of Southern Mississippi, and Budweiser, in exactly that order. <laughs> um, and anybody who ever ran into my dad, anybody who's ever been into a, a, a beer joint in the Golden Triangle within the la- within the you know since like 1977, probably knew Mark. Um, but everybody loved him, but kind of uniquely, especially when he was younger. His politics were significantly more liberal than like everybody else is around here. In fact, um, there's a comic strip called Doonesbury. People okay. probably heard of yeah. Gary Trudeau's been doing it forever. And in that comic strip, there's a there's a very liberal character named Mark Slackmire, And my dad ended up with the nickname Slackmire. And there are people oh, yeah. you know, who who have been calling my calling my dad Slack for forever. But um, so I grew up you know in this. You know, in this community surrounded by, you know, people who do what's, you know, sort of the normalized Baptist church, Mm -hmm. um, vote on the right side of the ticket with all the ways this this other voice in my head pushing back the other way. And I think if anything's like informed me who I as I am as a person, it was that kind of dichotomy. Um, I grew up. Uh, my, my grandparents lived out in, in Morgantown, uh, which is a little area outside of Sturgis, uh, in Octibahaw County. And I grew up going to Morgantown Baptist Chapel and, the uh, first, first United Methodist Church here in Columbus, which was like, I mean, might day. as well, exactly. Might as well have been two entirely different things. And you learn a lot about people when you have that experience and you learn a lot about, well, you know, this guy says this is true, but this guy also says this is true. I don't guess they can both be true or maybe they are both true and they just don't understand. And so I feel lucky that sort of an, through a natural means I learned how to do my best to be objective and not take anything I think or anyone else thinks terribly seriously. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Cool.
2: That's a uh, man. I've had to learn that. I learned, I had to learn it quick of um, yeah. just, I went down to Mobile to go to uh, University of Mobile, mm-hmm. private Baptist college. And so in that environment was something that I was used to. I grew up in or around the Baptist church. But then like when we would go out to do missions, all walks of life, all different thoughts and beliefs. And I had to quick, like, be quick on my feet with uh, just the approach. Because like you said, the things that I was taught that are true in the way that the world is, uh, well, it always isn't that way.
3: Yeah, but you also find out that people are people no matter what. That's it. right. Um, I feel very, very lucky in where I went to high school um, for a few reasons. One of them is that at a relatively young age, especially being from Lowndes County, Mississippi, you know, I lived with for two years people from you know all walks of life, backgrounds, mm-hmm. you name it. Um, you know, I went to school with Hindu kids. I went to school with with Muslim kids. I went to school with Baptist kids. I went to school with kids whose parents were virulently, you know, atheist. I went, you know, I went to school with kids who were um, from. I mean, Demetrius is from is from Siberia. Um, and what was you know, was just instantaneous. Like nobody had to teach you this. There was not like a, let's all get together class, right? Mm. Let's all understand each other. It's just all a bunch of dumb teenagers being thrown in that situation together. And then inevitably you just learn about one another and you find out that, you know, people are just people. When you mm-hmm. get right down to it, everybody wants that essentially wants the same things. Everybody essentially uh, uh, wants to, to move towards something that's greater than, than who they are. And what's even more remarkable is you did take some people who might have come from really conservative backgrounds um, who'd never seen anything. And of course, they're going to make the mistakes and say the things that everybody who grows up in those areas do, but almost instantaneously you start seeing those folks also come around. And so there comes becomes this like sort of I don't want to make it sound too uh um rainbows and sunshine this sort of beautiful move into the middle everyone did at that school. And you know what what my old boss Charlie Brown, rest in peace Charlie, you know, used to say is when Mississippi School for Math and Science was in session, it was the dim- the most diverse quarter square mile in the state of Mississippi mm-hmm. without question. And that along with some of the things that I got to be exposed to at that age, you know, people think of MSMS, and if you're not aware of it, MSMS is a public residential high school, a selective residential high school, which means you gotta get in. I still don't know how I got in, but I did. Um but you hear the 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 words math and science, and everybody thinks, you know, we sit in there and beat ourselves up calculus books all the time, and there is a little bit of that. But there's a lot more, and, and most formative educational experience in my life that includes grad school. Sorry, y'all at Alabama, but it includes grad school. Are taking two classes. One was um, the foundations of Western thought, one and two, taught by a guy named Scott Curtis. And so, at 17, I'm reading Plato and Kant and Schopenhauer and you know Heidegger and Nietzsche. And having to reckon with all that and then this it was just called University English but it was essentially a, uh, a, a class that was like a dip in your toe into postmodernist thought like you know Foucault and all those cats uh, uh, and, and you know T.S. Eliot and all that at that age and you know not to get too academic about it but in some ways the classical philosophy class and the postmodernist class are diametrically po- opposed to one another mm-hmm. and dealing with both of them literally at the same time and being as fascinated by both of them literally at the same time, again, sort of reinforced this idea that there is no probably one school of thought that has a monopoly on whatever truth is, but you can kind of get yourself closer to, having a better understanding about exactly how full of shit you and everyone else are <laughs> by ha- by earning understanding what those think in terms of what those things are and and I'm I'm grateful that happened super grateful that happened so if there's anything msms ever did for me it was teaching me how to th- think not only with the first thought you have but then think about the thoughts you're having why are you having those thoughts and then think in terms of you know what this person I'm sitting across from probably also thinks is, is is thinking about things and has thoughts that are built on his or her experiences, but they're similar. You know, everybody screws up. Everybody, you know, has lied. Everybody's done something they're not proud of. Everybody has made a really bad decision. And so having an understanding of that, I think makes it possible to treat everyone more kindly and more justly and not, not, not sweat the particulars if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, I remember taking philosophies and uh, man, like you said, like going to classical and then up to postmodern. I mean, yep. it's two sides of a coin. That's right. And uh, very interesting. I mean, even our our thought leaders today, like your Sam Harris's and those those guys. I mean, they've they've taken it to a brand new level.
3: Sure, they have. And I think Sam Harris is interesting to to listen to, to to an extent, Jordan Peterson is interesting to talk. You know, all those kinds of names that that I guess if you've ever listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, you're familiar with. But at the same time, you also need to be careful that you're not looking for a, um, I don't know a Buddha and all that as well. Yeah. A lot of people run into that. A lot of people absolutely run into that. People want, I think someone to tell them what to do. People want someone to say, okay, here's the checklist about how you be a good person, or here's the checklist about Mm -hmm. how you do this, that or the other. And I'm not saying there's not any value to that, but you also have to reckon with the fact that the only experience you have is the one you're having right now. Right. And nobody else can do that for you. And so you, the only person's behavior or, or path you can control is, is your own. I mean, I guess I'm basically making a stoic argument, but um, the earlier you can figure that out, I think the better you're going to be. And you also have to cut yourself some slack because all the mistakes, screw-ups, uh, uh, lucky breaks, etc., that you've had throughout your life have led you to whoever it is you are right this second, right? And so I think the trick is building on top of that and if you can do it with a wink and a smile i know i run my mouth alan but um no man (laughs) I, uh, i uh like i've got two kids i've got uh two boys um 14 and no not 14 he's 13 don't make me make him too old but he's about to be 14 and 11 and do you have kids i don't okay well the thing that you do when they come around is you got to start, you start really refining what, what, what's important to you and what it is you're trying, what you're trying to do. And, and basically it's, it's, it's like putting the way I think of it is you throw the ball, you try to put the spin on it. You want to spin, but God knows where it's going to end up. You know, you just try to hope it goes in generally in the right direction. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but you know, that they err on the side of kindness is important to me. That they learn how not to take themselves too seriously, which means having the capacity to laugh at yourself.
2: Yeah, shout out to it, dude. And I see that in your own life, just like with the way that I became particularly interested in like having yeah. you on the show was, you know, like asking Ryan, I was like, Man, tell me little bit about weight and like this this is so funny and I don't I don't get it right right, right. <laughs> I don't get it either if that helps <laughs> and like just to go to the, the latest piece that you just put up uh like you know nice try Gary Trudeau and so that makes sense now that, yeah I, yeah, I yeah so
3: the, the yeah that one should I tell people what it is to like help like like contextualize the bathroom thing yeah sure okay yeah. So Munson Brothers is um, a place that's run by this derelict named Ryan Munson and his lovely wife, Catherine, okay? Ryan's awful, in case you're wondering. Mm -hmm. He's one of the worst people I've ever met. (laughs) I'm kidding, a little bit. Um, I'll tell you about Ryan. What's weird about Ryan is I can remember the exact day I met him and the exact words he said to me when I met him. The reason is is because it was the day Michael Jackson died, and I've, I don't know why we went to his house. He lived in some apartment. And my wife and I go over there. And he opens his door up. And he said, hey, Michael Jackson just died. It's pretty weird, huh? Literally the first thing he ever said to me. Anyway. Um, that
2: sounds exactly like a Munson moment. Sounds
3: like a Munson moment. But um, I don't know. This I guess it was about a year ago. This very silly idea. I've been drawing cartoons all my life. Um, Mildly obsessed with like Bill Watterson and Gary Trudeau and Berkeley Breathe and all those guys. Um, but I had this very silly idea that what if you took a picture, you put it somewhere innocuous, and then every once in a while you changed the picture out, but it was basically the same picture, but there was one tiny little difference to it? Would anybody notice? And if they did, would they care? And I asked him, Hey, you know, can I try that? And he was like, absolutely. And so above the toilet in the bathroom, I put this, this little picture it looked like this um, sort of vaguely Victorian black and white uh, portrait of this sad looking guy with a mustache. Everybody a lot of people
2: put, mistook him for Edgar Allan Poe. I mean,
3: <laughs> I don't think there's, you can't mistake him. If it's Edgar Allan Poe, I guess it's Edgar Allan Poe. I was thinking like Franz Kafka, right? And so over the course of about 20 weeks, I went in every week and changed the picture out and it ended up being... Fly head. Yeah, a guy, a fly buzzes around his head and then he disappears and then he comes back up and he's sort of like Jeff Goldblum, fly, you know, fly or whatever. Um, And I did that and I was mildly obsessive about it and I got extremely tickled by the fact that Nobody knew I was doing
2: it. I thought I was crazy. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I noticed like three changes, and I don't remember who I was trying to talk to him about, and he's like, dude, you're crazy. No. And then one day I go in there, and it's like his head is gone, and it's a fly (laughs) head, and I was like, I cannot be the only one. And then I go to Ryan, and I was like, what is this? (laughs) Yeah,
3: that's awesome. (laughs) I did think, I thought I was going a little crazy because there's one point where he just completely disappears. Like, there's nobody there anymore. Like, nothing's there. Mm-hmm. And nobody, I mean, nothing. And I would go, Ryan, anything? Like, nope. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I did that for a while, and then I eventually told everybody about it. And what was funny about that, and I won't call anybody out, but several people said, oh, yeah, I knew it was happening the whole time or whatever. <laughs> I was like, All right, great. um, but Ryan calls me and my relationship with Ryan is, is, is basically, I don't think I've ever said a kind word to him and he's never said a kind word to me, but I feel like we're really good friends. If mm. that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Um, but he calls me and like all in one breath, he's like, wait, I've got this idea. Why don't we turn the bathroom into the Wade Hampton Leonard art gallery? What do you think? And I, uh, stop for a second and i thought well that's just like the best idea i've ever heard in my entire life i like it a lot um i i wanted it to be called and i don't know why so don't ask me the wade hampton leonard art gallery slash multi-purpose family bathroom and there there was a sign up there it's not there anymore because my son broke it the other day but um, uh, I was
2: I saw it and I was wondering what happened to it. Yeah, he he
3: was it was it was kind of like a cosmically hilarious thing where he's he's strong as an ox but not terribly graceful and he just he couldn't open the door and the thing fell down and
1: boxed him. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> But got it. either here or there. And so um, I'm like, yeah. So once a month, I draw a dumb thing and and it goes up in the bathroom, and subsequently to that, Catherine Ryan's wife. For some reason, um, wanted me to also do a lecture once a month. Um, ostensibly, I guess about the art itself, and I've just decided to turn it to me writing some. I mean, honestly, it's it's some uh, uh, terrible riff on like a Dave Barry column where I just say a bunch of random silliness um, with the attempt to get a chuckle out of people yeah yeah Um, and I don't and and again you know and the only reason I'm doing that is because Catherine gives me a $50 bar tap
2: yeah (laughs) it's a nice little it's not bad yeah well dude uh, Lance Cooper was told told me to ask you about Tom Waits
3: I like Tom Waits a lot Um, I uh, how'd that start for you It started in SMS. I went to uh, one of my good friends back then, a guy named John Imes. Um, It had to have been John that introduced me to it. I'm pretty sure, just like everybody else, I was like, what is this weirdo craziness? Um, It had to be like Frank's Wild Years or Swordfish Trombone, you know, the introduction. And then um, it was the... It was one of the albums Waits did. There's a lot of people don't know the time Waits basically started as like a jazz crooner kind of guy. Like um, The Heart of Saturday Night, I think was his first record. Um, I mean it's just a very it, it it could be it could be proto Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra saying about Filthy bars in California, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like he and Bette Midler were like best buddies back then. Oh, wow, I know. Um, this album called Small Change, which is sort of him transitioning from uh that into the 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 I guess for lack of a better word, stranger stuff. And um, I just eventually fell in love with it. I, I very much like Tom. Waits the reason Lance is asking you about that. It's very very brief time. Uh, he and I were in a band together, and it, it was me doing my best to do a Tom Waits impression. You know, when you're like nineteen or twenty and yeah. you completely have no personality of your own, so you grab onto everyone else's personality. Oh yeah. Like, dude, I was doing the thing where I was wearing like five wrist watches on one arm. It was, I was just a walking ball of ostentation, ostentatious affectations. It was <laughs> gross. It was really gross. Um, <laughs> But I would, you know, do the whole singing like this thing um, while being surrounded by musicians who were significantly more talented than I was and eventually had the good sense to say, you know, Wade, uh, gargling lava marbles into the microphone may not be the best way for us to move this band forward. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. Yeah, it was. I had a good time. yeah, Tom Waits is great. If you've never heard Tom Waits, go listen to Tom Waits. Um... You're not going to like it at first, but eventually you, you'll not be able to put it down. Yeah. like Scotch.
2: Yeah. It's, uh man, him and, like, I, I can't really compare him to, like, a John Prine, but it is that way. I think they're the, real similar. The, the man, more that I listen. I
3: because there's, like, like lyrically, John Prine is so weird. Yeah. I mean, so weird. And some of the places he goes, uh, my kids are in Boy Scouts, and they just... um got to name their patrol units or whatever. And for whatever reason, they decided their patrol is going to be called space monkey. And it got me really excited because there's a John Prine song called space monkey, mm-hmm. which is really somehow deeply stupid and deeply, deeply moving. You know what I mean? And it, it is a hundred percent about a monkey who goes to space. <laughs> yeah.
2: This episode of Porch Talk is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Caldera Lab. If you go to calderalab.com slash porch uh, at checkout, you can use promo code porch and save 20% off your total purchase order. A little bit about Caldera Lab. It was clinically tested to work on dry, normal, and oily skin. Nine out of 10 men who tried this product continue to do so, and they could tell a difference uh, with their skin, uh, there's an improvement in the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles, elasticity, dark spots, skin tone, and more. It really helped me out with the crow's feet and the wrinkles on my forehead. I have been using the good for about a week now, and they also uh, sent me the clean slate icon and the base layer. And uh, I've never really been into skincare products. I was excited to give Caldera Lab a shot, and I'm glad I did. And so as you get a little bit older, like myself, um, maybe you would like to give these skincare products a try for your face. And maybe you'll tell a difference just like I am. Uh, I'm 32, but I'm currently looking about 23. So uh, look out for me. Once again, if you go to calderalab.com slash porch, Use promo code PORCH and you'll save 20% off of your purchase order back to the show. The, the older I get, and especially like with his passing, it's just like any other artist, it seems to have that, that I guess, that victory that one never gets to experience on the surface. I
3: think so. <laughs> and I love like, I loved you know, John Prine was a mailman in Chicago before um, Chris Christofferson discovered him. And John Prine, you know, from what I understand, had no. Like real um, ambition, except to just write songs and occasionally put them in front of other people, right? Yeah,
2: a songwriter, songwriter.
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, you know, just this is—I this, guess this is a good example of how my brain works. But when he died, and it was it, we were we were still in the plague days, um, I wrote a song that was. Essentially, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it, it's basically Sam Stone, but I, I, I wrote this song, like tribute to John Prine for no other reason than I wanted to do it. And I put it on YouTube. I think it's been up there for years. It got eight views, but I got this uh, email from Google telling me that they were taking it down because of copyright restriction. And I went, Oh no, I hope I haven't somehow hit like John Prine estate and they're mad at me because it is, I mean, it's. Sam Stone Um, and I look at it and it turns out it's like some dude from Iceland who had been basically ripping off John Prine songs but just doing them in Icelandic Oh, (laughs) and he put a copyright against me And I fought tooth and nail over that thing for weeks. Like, I'm not, no, you're not taking it down. You are not. If you take it down, then you got to take all this other dude's stuff down too, because he's not John Prine either. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and this this different language is not going to fly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It just annoyed me.
2: That's wild, man. That's fighting tooth and nail for those eight views. For those eight
3: views, dude, 100%. And it wasn't the eight views. It was the fact that someone else was like, no, that's really my song. Like, no, it's not. That's John Pryor's song. That's right. Go away.
2: Well, dude, like back to high school, like coming out of MSMS, like uh, did you did you know like you were going to go on no, further your education?
3: I was a disaster. I was yeah. a fundamental disaster. When I left MSMS, um, I went to Southern Miss. Um, Nothing against my old man. I was about to say, did
2: he have but anything it, to see, do with it? Oh, everything.
3: No, no. It, it, and he never, he, never, he never said this. He never said, you have to go here. I just assumed that's what I had to do. Right? And...
2: What was you interested in? Studying. Uh, my,
3: my initial major was uh, radio, TV, film. Um, vaguely wanted to make movies, to do those kinds of things. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um... And I go to Southern, and I had, a, I had a very decent scholarship to go there. And within the course of about two months, you pissed it all away. I um, majored in, in Jack Daniels and social anxiety. That's what I did, and so had to come home and ended up working. I mean, that's just several different jobs. Uh, there was a, there was a place called the CD company I worked at. Uh, which was a record store where there's a tanning salon now on highway 45. Um, there was a, I worked at the, the Wingate Inn for several years. I, um, back in the old, old days of the princess when a couple of guys named, um, uh, Neil Repke and Robert Christopher owned it. I worked, I, I worked at the princess for a while. I was, uh, ostensibly there to book bands, but I was terrible at that, but they let me bartend and that was I, I ended up being better at that. And um I ended up being a bartender at uh it was called Market Street Grocery. It was what Huck's was a couple of restaurants before Huck's. Okay. And I ended up kind of like a bar manager there. <clears throat> um and got to be friends with a guy named Steve Rogers, who I know a lot of you, uh, and that might be controversial for some people listening to this. Uh, But Steve um, would come in, and we'd talk, and I would heavily criticize what was... Steve was the city editor for the the Commercial Dispatch, and I would heavily uh, criticize what was in the newspaper, and he would uh, drink coffee and drink Budweiser, and we'd have long talks. And eventually, said, "Well, wait. If you think you can do so much better, why don't you just damn write something?" And so, um, I didn't have a computer at the time, but I
2: talked yourself into a job. Huh?
3: Well, I mean, kind of. I, I went into the public library and I sat down and I wrote a column and sent it in. And then for about I don't know, three or four years, every Monday. Uh, there was a, I had a column in the newspaper, um, 25 bucks a lick, man. And that 25 bucks a lick was very, very important to me back then because I had it in my head. I could say I was a writer. Like, I, I, I don't know where I picked this up from, but you can't say you're something unless someone else is providing you goods or services for that thing it is you do. Otherwise you like to write, right? Um, yeah,
2: I get that, man. Like uh, a lot of times, if I if I quit playing music, like I I feel like I'm an imposter if I say I'm a musician.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know if I feel that way anymore, but at the time, I absolutely did. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, did that, and then I got to be friends with a lot of people who worked at WCBI heard about the things they did, heard about the experiences they had. And I just got it in my head. You know what? I could, I could do that. And so I've always been obsessed with newspapers, always been obsessed with, with writing and making stuff. And so it was kind of laid out for me that I wanted to get into the news business. Um, I walked into WCBI and because I mean, I'm just too stupid and didn't know any better. And walked in the newsroom to the, the news director and said, Hey, I, I, I want to be a producer. I didn't have a great name. And he was like, okay, hold your horses, but maybe we can put you in commercial in, in, in production. And so I pushed cameras around and worked on, worked on making the news shows. Um, it just so happened that within a month of me getting there, a guy, they were training to, to direct um, and director for those you don't know like a new show it's not like a guy who sits in a chair and tells people what to do it's the guy who pushes all the buttons and makes the technical director it's hard um, but I said yeah I want to do it mm-hmm. and so I immediately got trained as technical director I then got started working on weekends and just started to help uh, the anchor of the weekend shows write the shows um, and within within three i don't know three or four months of being there i i was uh, i was a producer and i produced and i produced uh uh the six and ten for several years um but i always wanted to do newspaper stuff and um while i was doing that I realized thanks primarily to my wife that or she wasn't my wife then but she became my wife that i could be as good at something as i wanted to be but unless i had a degree that said i could finish a degree then that wasn't going to happen and so I don't recommend anyone do this, but I uh worked forty plus hours a week and did I dunno neighborhood of twenty four hours a semester at the W. I don't even think they'll let you do that many. Nobody hours you have to anymore. ask for it. Yes. Yeah. You have to ask for it. And um it was it was brutal. But I finished uh you know I I actually done a little bit at EMCC. I forgot about that, but I had a little bit there. But I, I got that finished.
2: What made you want to fast track it that way? Is that just your work ethic at the time? It seems like you was work just working ethic hard. at the
3: time. I was also getting older, and the idea that I was going to be—I think I can't remember if I was twenty-six or twenty-seven when I finally finished somewhere in there. But you know, it was starting to—it was starting to smell on the pathetic side of things. Like, okay. do it or get off the pot. And I didn't think that there was any way that I could get to what I... What I wanted to do is be a newspaper reporter. That's what I wanted to do. Now, most people would tell you that's crazy. People don't go out of TV to go into newspaper. That's not usually how it works. But that's what I wanted to do. What I mean, kind of
2: a beat did you want,
3: Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I wanted to be the general guy. I wanted to do pol- the, the politics stuff. I, um, I didn't mind doing things like going to city council meetings and things like that. But I... I... Um, um, I finished my degree and then like, I mean, I mean, the thing wasn't, the ink wasn't dry on it. And I walked over to the dispatch cause I'd still been writing that column for him and walked over to the dispatch said, Hey, I want to be a reporter. Mm-hmm. And again, just sort of all moxie and no brains. And, um, and they let me, and I was, and I was a reporter at the Dispatch for a while. And then through a series of unfortunate events, nine months later, I was no longer a reporter at the Dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but by the time that happened, and I, it was cool, I had a good time doing it. Um, but by the time that happened, my wife, who was my wife at that point, was pregnant, and I needed a job, and. Um, out of the blue I get a call from the Mississippi school for math and science they needed a guy to kind of be like their PR/ slash uh, uh, recruitment specialist there whoa and so kind of get
2: the users agree yeah then.
3: yeah and I and I jumped right on top of that um how did, how
2: did that happen you have somebody on the inside just kind of recommend you the way or? it happened
3: is because of the column because I'd written a bunch of columns about MSMS and okay. how much I liked it and the the and some of those had gotten some some traction in the classical way. I mean, this is how old I am. There really was, there was no, I mean, I think MySpace was a thing, but there wasn't, R.I.P. you didn't share an article. Right. You didn't share an article. It just sort of got loose out into the wild by however that happened. And so some of the, the things I wrote, especially about the school, got out there and gave and, and got some good press for the school because of it. And, um, and I think that's why Charlie wanted me to come over there um, again one of the greatest men there. What planet? are charlie brown charles brown um and so i did that for about eight years and then um there was a job opening at the honors college mississippi state i wanted to i guess move up in whatever direction and applied and i was fortunate enough to 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 land that gig and then and during all that i was also earning a uh a master's degree from a University of Alabama in journalism. Which was also hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I <a> bet.
2: <laughs> Juggling. Yep,
3: yeah, ju- that that was that was probably and, and I'm not sure my wife has forgiven me yet for doing grad school working full time while she's working full time and having two babies in the house. But she put up with it for that I'm grateful.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking about like uh, going back and getting my master's, and uh, with the job I hold now, they'll they'll pay for it as long as you get a get an A. You know? Sure. And then B what you, is
3: what is your degree in?
2: Well, I have an associate's in industrial electronics, and that's I'm, I want to push that further. Sure. But I have a uh, bachelor's in intercultural studies, which is culture and theology.
3: Yeah. Okay.
2: But uh, I wanted to go back to MSU to study like electrical engineering. And then when I'm talking to my friend who has an electrical engineering degree has pushed it up as far as he could go. And he was like, you know, YouTube for what you want to do. He's like, cause I know like you're just wanting to create circuit boards and build your own amps and guitar yeah, pedals. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, you already know how just get on YouTube. You know what to do. You don't need a piece of paper that says that you can. Well,
3: I would say the only pushback there is that the rest of the world is willing to give you more money if you have that That's piece a, of paper yeah, in your hand. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you. I'm all for you know pulling on them bootstraps and lifting yourself up all by yourself, but yeah. you know the the you know what I'm doing? I'm doing the college counseling thing at you right now. <laughs> if you want to talk more about this, though, I'm happy to do.
2: Yeah. It but I, and I'm hoping dude in the future just as like as far as the job trajectory is like just through i've gotten to know Joe, and he's
0: mm-hmm.
2: he has a history of msu so i'm hoping to uh migrate over that way one day I, and cool. i don't know what facility very cool or you know in what way but i i would like to uh i've always liked being around or in the university
3: it 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 can be fun it can be a lot of fun it can be um it can be overwhelming and the best advice I can give anybody who's thinking about school is don't think yourself out of doing it. Um, definitely make, you know, whatever financial decisions you have to make. But once, once you decide to do it, once you decide to go milk everything you can out of it while you're there. Yeah. I don't understand people who don't, I don't understand people who don't, uh, end up knowing their professors on a personal basis. I don't understand why people don't take advantage of, All the things they've got access to, especially, especially because I've yet, I've been, I've been working with, 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 with students in this capacity for years and years, and I have yet to meet one who knows what the heck they're talking about, but every single one of them think they know what they're talking Uh about. And if you can make that jump from allowing people who know what the hell they're talking about to guide you in that direction, that can make all the difference in the world.
2: Yes. Yeah, a man, a friend of mine, he was in this area for a time. He decided to go back to school. He's down in Cleveland, yep. down at the, the music school. And, uh, he was calling and asking for my advice on that. And it was something similar to that effect. And I was like, the moment you get down there, the best it's not it's not the classes it's not what's going on in the classroom it's the people you're surrounded with get to know them and network and i was like cuz all my college years i accidentally did right i yeah. was i was very personable i would go over to the professors houses for i knew their family we would have dinner
3: that's great and
2: you know and like built that relationship up and in the like my first job when i got that associates in industrial electronics I was good, like the Dr. Butler, if he's still at Shelton State in Tuscaloosa, shout out, dude. But uh, I knew him on such a personal level, like Electric Motor Sales and Service here in town, they called Shelton State curious about that department. And they was like, we want the brightest and someone kind of close to Columbus. And but my, my, the, my you, name came that's up. That's
3: right. That's right. That means you did it right. Yeah. And that's great. But you know, I think about it, I think about all at school, whatever. In the same way I think about a lot of things, and, and I think there are especially a lot of kids that need to hear this. I, 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 I did not like going to school. I, I really liked having had gone to school. I don't like writing. It's painful. It hurts. I like having written something. I don't like, I mean, even, you know, drawing pictures and making things. That's tough. You know, beating yourself up because you feel like a giant idiot because you can't think of anything, and then all of a sudden something occurs. To you. It's hard. I would imagine it's the same thing. You know, when you're trying to make yourself get better at playing that guitar. Yeah. It's not fun. It's 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 work. But once you're done, once you're on the other side of it, it's that feels amazing. That yeah. feels like perfect. And yeah, sport. Sport so, analogy.
2: It's it's all those practices you put in. You know, sure. it's it's all those flag bring. It, it really you is. It really yeah. is
3: that. And I think so many people get stuck in this mindset of if they're not immediately good at it or if they don't immediately get like a reaction out of it, then it wasn't worth it. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's the way that people treat school. You know, they, they treat it as, treating it as a means to an end is a mistake. What you're supposed to be doing. When you go to school is is getting an education learning something and you don't learn things by immediately being good at it one of the things that, that i think that that if there's nothing else you get out of school it's the feeling of putting a whole lot of work into something and getting feedback that tells you you're not very good at the thing that you put a lot of work into and then forcing you to do whatever you have to do to get better at that now nobody likes that nobody's like yay i got to see. Mm-hmm. but sometimes without the C, you don't know how to get, you don't know how to increase whatever level it is you're trying to get to. Does yeah. that make sense?
2: It does, man. I mean, it's just like going back to your story. I mean, like when you were speed rushing at the W, I mean, I'm sure Hattiesburg had to be on your mind. Oh
3: yeah. 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 No, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was very aware that I was struck.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's like, I'm, I'm going to get it right this time. Yeah. And there's
3: another thing. It's, it, it, you know, I, um, Right, wrong, or otherwise, everybody's always told me I'm smart, whatever that means. Talented, whatever that means. And smart does not impress me. Talented does not impress me. The will to turn those things into something operational absolutely impresses me. And that's significantly more rare than either of those two things put together. And it took me a long time to get out of my own way. To di- I mean, I'm probably the walking embodiment of ADD. I am naturally a very, very introverted person. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm a I'm a classical uh, uh, introvert ridden with social anxiety who pretends to be extroverted for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, you know. If you're feeling awkward, so is everybody else around you. So shut up, man. Shut up and just do the thing. Yeah. Just get it done. No, you're not going to like it. No, it's not going to be fun. But there's literally nobody in the world that is going to cry or care if you do or don't accept yourself and accept the people around you who are counting on you. And it's critical, I think, to think in those terms because again, going back to I guess the Stoic argument, the only person's behavior. Reaction I can affect is my own. Mm -hmm. I can't do a thing about anybody else. I can't do a thing about, you know, does, does Alan like me? Is Alan bored? Is Alan interested? I can't do anything about it. I can do my best to tap dance and, you know, maybe try to, to to be meanderingly clever in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But fundamentally, you know, it's, it's me is all on me. Mm -hmm. And sure. There are, mitigating circumstances and things to blame and those things are absolutely valid and fair but when it's all said and done looking at the thing you don't want to do in the eye and doing it anyway I think is the difference between being a grown up and not being one right? I agree with that
2: absolutely let me ask you about like the uh, the state of the art uh, when it comes to art like uh, is there a reason like the way that you present your art and the way that you like (laughs) Is it I mean without without you know like I, I'm gonna put this out, and hopefully you know people enjoy it, if not I'm still going to do it and set the bathroom at our local water and hoe. you know? i
3: uh so and, again, I don't know why I'm, I don't know why, but but i get I get very tickled at the idea of someone see here's what probably happens. most people go in there and they take a leak, and they don't look at it at all, they don't notice it if they do they're like okay whatever um but I like the idea that maybe occasionally that does happen and they're like what What? what is this what, what's happening here mm-hmm. what 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 and that makes me laugh I mean, we've
2: got a cigarette smoking our little yeah, archetype guy. A, a,
3: a smoking Kafka over there and the, and the two little guys uh making a commentary really really, really <laughs> pure joke um about a, a Russian stand-up comedian but the um, like Ryan suggested like putting stuff on on social media and stuff and and I mean that's probably like a smart idea but I kind of want to I kind of want it to just be what it is um, like if you go in there one thing that I am actually proud of is there's a there's a little uh, supposed biography about me. Yeah, in there.
2: it's a fun read.
3: I appreciate that. Um, <laughs>
2: it's just to the left of the sink while you're washing your hands. <laughs> you filthy animals, you got to wash right. your hands. Wash your hands
3: and read the tiny thing. But sort of this this putting out this version of myself that does not exist at all and that version of myself Taking whatever nonsense is in there extremely seriously. I
1: like that idea a lot.
3: Yeah. Um, but in terms of what it's supposed to be. I, so, do you know who Bill Watterson is? Yeah, I'm familiar. Okay. Calvin and Hobbes. If you don't know, if you've never read Calvin Hobbes, you should read Calvin and Hobbes. So, Bill Watterson, Calvin and Hobbes is arguably the most popular and commercially successful comic strip, at least of its era. It ran from Mm -hmm. like 1985 to 1995. Famously, Bill Watterson refused to merchandise any bit of it. He said, Calvin and Hobbes is not a coffee cup. It's not a stuffed animal. It's not a Saturday morning cartoon. It is a comic strip. That's what it is. And that's all it's going to be. This little introverted man who lives somewhere in Ohio I mean, the only picture you see is this you know guy with a mustache and glasses wearing a sweater um, is probably the most punk rock guy who made something that ever existed, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not being hyperbolic. I really think that's true. And I've always really admired that. And the idea that you make a thing... And you just let the thing be the thing. Yeah.
2: If it's going to have a heart and beat, right. let, it, let it do it.
3: Now, at the same time, you know, somebody wants to throw me a couple bucks and me draw a dumb cartoon for him. I'm there, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do like the thing existing in its own little universe. And I like the idea also that it's a bathroom. And so there, there's also... I mean, I'm I'm human. I like attention. I like you know people saying nice things about me. But when it's all in a bathroom, how big a head can you possibly get? You know what I
2: mean? Yeah, that's why I missed the sign.
3: Right. There you go, there you go. it's
2: it's fun it's fun being in there. It's their first time, and they'll ask about the bathroom, and we'll just point to the door. And then they start reading it. and They was like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, just just go check it out
3: while you're in there. You'll get it, maybe. Or you won't. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, I don't get it either. So um, the most recent one I did, I guess it's going up in August. Um, so Monet, right? hmm Everybody knows who Monet is, Impressionist painter. There's a painting he did called uh, Sunrise. And it's the first, I think, it's probably not the first painting he ever did, but it's the first one he ever showed. And it began the Impressionist movement. Mm-hmm. And so I did a, a, a poor man's recreation of Sunrise, um, but I put Jabberjaw in it. Oh, boy. Jabberjaw is a cartoon shark from the 1970s who's kind of like a walking, talking Scooby-Doo shark. Um, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Except he also taught like Curly from the Three Stooges. Um, Because he was a talking shark, too. He could also walk. It's insane. Um, just because I thought it would be fun. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if I thought it would be funny. I just thought, just the image popped in my head, and I liked it, and so I did it, and it's going to go up in the Wade Hampton Leonard Art Gallery slash multi-purpose family bathroom. <laughs>
2: It's a mouthful, but it's fun. It is, dude. It uh, is. Yeah, I mean, it's like when I when I think about like just the state of the art, especially when it comes to the visual right now. I like to talk to Joe McGowan about it. He's and, so good,
3: man. Like in my kitchen, right there, my wife is a big fan. And I have a yeah. gigantic uh, print of, of one of his. We've got his books. The guy, I mean, I could just sit there and look at the the, the technical drawings of insects all day. have
2: that the first thing I bought from him it was a was a cicada.
3: Oh, really? Yeah,
2: and uh, like I, I, at the time I had a porch talk studio, and it would sit behind me, and it was like that would be a question that always popped up is like, like, who did that and why is it here?
3: Right, right, and you know, it's like
2: well, when you're on a porch, it's not unnatural to have cicadas in this part of the country during this time of the year. So I always thought I'd like to have one over my shoulder.
3: The thing that <laughs> amazes me about Joe's stuff is the clear, almost, and I mean this in a nice way psychotic patience you have to have to make those things because the gauge of the pens that he's using is so tiny tens upon thousands of very very carefully have you been out, out to out. his place i haven't had a chance to go out there no yeah
2: haven't. dude okay. he's a uh a one of the latter uh residents that he had did a mural on a building that he's currently finishing and so on the other side he's doing a mural. And the kind kind of ant, you know, he likes, he's an entomologist, he likes bugs, and so it's going to be a tree, but there is this uh, ant that bores holes, and if it puts its head head down, it becomes a doorway, and so if you want to come in, it has to come out let you in and then it backs back in. What up. are you
3: talking about? That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I wish
2: and he, he and like Joe just spit off like the scientific name of this ant and he was like, That's gonna be the mural. There's gonna be a tree with these ants, but they're the doorkeepers. That's I was like so this neat. is this is a sick idea, man. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. But and like when he has his art residents come in I like, I like to talk to them about the state of the art and what they're doing. And it's 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 crazy because like the visual arts, man, it's it's so much different to me than Any other art form?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm. I uh. You know, when I was younger, I was so unbearably pretentious. I mean, I don't know if if you get that from me, but it's 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 in there. (laughs) It's in there. And I got it in my head that people were what they liked. And there were, there there was objective good and bad in terms of an aesthetic. Like there was good art and there was bad art. And I don't know if that's, I don't think that's true. I think, I, you know, I I, I like to get grossed out when I think about what a jackass I could be about that. But um, if you're lucky, somebody's gonna appreciate what you do. If you're really lucky, they'll look at it for two seconds and go, huh, if you're really lucky. Mm-hmm. But what most people are going to do with any art or stuff is they're going to not even be aware that it exists, right? And that's okay. I get. I, I, I love people who do it for the love of doing it. Ooh. I love that. But people who do it because they feel like because it's their stuff, they're owed something, I don't know about that. And I don't know, and and it's not even a question of how good their stuff is either. Because I am very, very, I really like people, I mentioned before, who don't take themselves terribly seriously. Mm -hmm. I really like people who like to do things for the sake of doing it. It's when people do it as a means to an end, other than making a living, that's not what I'm talking about, but as a means to an end so that they can get individual attention for themselves that does kind of gross me out a little bit Mm -hmm. that makes sense
2: this episode of porch talk is also sponsored by manscaped you can go to manscaped.com and at checkout use promo code porch talk all one word porch talk all one word receive 20% off your total purchase order and get free shipping Uh, manscaped sent me the performance package 4.0 that comes with their beard trimmer, uh, the weed whacker, which is for those unsightly ear and nose hairs, and then the lawnmower, which is for you downstairs. It also comes with the crop preserver and the crop reviver. Uh, that is for um, it's for your genitalia, their, their boys. Uh, it'll keep you from, uh, if you've ever been in the South in the summer, uh, you know a little bit about how it feels down there and. Those two wonderful products will uh, help you feeling cool and keep you smelling good, so you don't smell like a foot. So, go to manscaped.com, and if they are the leading company when it comes to men's grooming, they also the performance package comes with the most comfortable pair of underwear I've ever owned. So, if you have never given Manscaped a try, I highly recommend them. You can go to manscaped.com. Use Porch Talk as your promo code at checkout. Receive 20% off your total purchase order. And, uh, man, just look at my beard. If that says anything about them, should say it all. I got the best beard around. No doubt about it. Now, back to the show.
3: You it, could see. Be, it could be me being pretentious in a completely different way,
2: though. <laughs> no, man, I mean, I mean you see it. I mean, you you see it all the time. I mean, you see that thing play out. Like, uh, usually it's... it's via social media
3: well i'll tell you something dude this is a true story um i was at munson's once and i was going back around to the back bar where the the pizza ovens are mm-hmm. and i was like man i had never heard this waylon Jennings song before but i really like it and i turn around and it's just you on stage oh shoot it was i was i was knocked over impressed man really Whoa, really man. really good stuff appreciate that really good stuff yeah absolutely and wow. see, before that, I would have no reason to talk to you at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks for that. It's that one. It's that one Wailing song. <laughs> Good deal, man. Well, dude, let's uh, let's do three more questions. And uh, sure, however you. Uh, want Dude, to I have, do. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
3: I'm, I hope so. I've, I've enjoyed it too.
2: Of, <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about your father at the beginning. Yeah. Of, with the state that Columbus is now, uh, do you think he would be in shock? Do you think he'd be proud of it? What do you, How do you think he would feel?
3: That's a really good question. Um, so my dad was one of those guys around here that the, uh, for a time anyway, that the political folks would call. Like, my dad never, never elected anything. He worked a little bit on Jimmy Carter's campaign back in the 70s. But, um... He was a, a political savant. Mm-hmm. He was really good at it, and um, so people would call him for advice all the time. Like, like you know, specifically um, a guy named Fred Hazlett, who was the mayor of Columbus, one of my dad's best friends. Hey, Mister Fred, you don't know how podcasts work, but <laughs> you do. Hey, love you, man. Um, uh, Terry Brown and my dad were very, very good friends, and people would call and just ask him. And my dad was very good at thinking in like an empirical pragmatic approach. And here's what I mean by that. He was very good about thinking about things in terms of what they are and what they would do as opposed to what they ought to be.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Like if you want to run for this office what do you actually have to do to make that work? And he was good at helping people kind of figure those things out in terms of Columbus. Now, I think he would encourage everybody to take a deep breath, step back and remember two things. There's never been a time when Columbus, Mississippi has been a bastion of wholesome security and love and brotherhood and peace. Amongst all its people, wish it were so. Has not been, to this point anyway. I think he would encourage people to remember that in some ways Columbus was a lot worse a while back. I don't know if anybody's ever told you about what uh, uh, downtown Columbus and Catfish Alley were like in like the the mid 90s, but you didn't go there, man. Mm-hmm. You didn't go there. Like, you know, you might run over to Harvey's or maybe some stuff on Main Street. But you didn't go over there. And now it's kind of cutesy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that he would hope that people could sometimes... This is what he would want people to know. He would want people to know that national politics have very little impact on your day-to-day life most of the time. It's all about local. That's exactly right. All politics is local. And he would, and he he'd he'd tell you to vote, and he'd tell you to remember also that people are not their politics. I think that if there's one thing that depresses me, it's that It's, it's that folks don't spend enough time doing the work to form an educated opinion about something. Folks spend a lot of time live in you know in whatever enragement trap they live in on whatever individual issue it is they live in well you know we all a thing we do share an interest we all share i i think is that everybody in this town wants this town to be a good place to live in and all you gotta do is start there you just start there Mm -hmm. you just start right there and and everybody in this town lives in this town which means that black white or otherwise we are all doing this together at the same time and we all we all rise or fall based upon the success or failure of one another and i don't think that and i might be sounding hopelessly optimistic but i don't think that's an impossible place to get to and i also think it's important for people to remember because i you know i had a little bit of experience dealing with, with politics around here is that there's a difference between corruption and incompetence. They may both lead to the same place, but you can, but not everything is corrupt if it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Not everything is corrupt because someone makes a mistake. Not everything is inherently just bad and evil because a member of a political party that you don't like did a thing. And if we could just somehow get back to that mindset, I I think everybody would be a lot better off.
2: Yeah. I mean, with uh, the political climate right now, man, it's just like I think that's one of the great things about this show is like we'll talk about it like this, but very ambiguous and fair. And I think like the most important thing is doing this. Communicating, not, of just, you know, not, yes. not just name yeah. calling or,
3: no, not oh, name he's, calling. A, he's a,
2: he's a libtard, he's a, you know, <laughs> or whatever else.
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and, and it sort of, you know, it sort of goes back to that not taking yourself too seriously. Then, yeah. man. Don't divide yourself up into boxes. Not everything, you don't have to die on every single hill over every, and, and you know what, and, and, and the humility and grace to accept that you may not know what you're talking about. And the humility and grace to know for a fact that nobody knows what they're talking about and that's really difficult and terrifying Mm -hmm. but if you can aim towards something like truth while always erring on the side of kindness I think you can get some things done but if it's all about keeping score of what letter is next to what guy's name or then the, or 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 what particular group is going to be upset about you know x y or z mm-hmm. and i mean everybody and they, 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 they i get a, a thing that annoys me is like it's like either side of the political spectrum thinking the other side has some monopoly on um extreme outrage or what it no no it's both you guys do it, by the way. Like like the thing, like if, if, if you get real upset because someone is woke, um, um, the way that you behave about it, you're doing the same thing that the person you're upset about is also doing. Yeah, you're okay? just doing
2: it on the other end. You're just doing it on the other <laughs> end. It's really what
3: you're doing. And everybody else who isn't interested in always being in a fist fight all the time, that's what it sounds like. And that's where I find hope. is because most people don't want to be in a fist fight all the time but the thing is when people are in fist fights everybody wants to watch the fist fight yeah but very few of those people watching the fist fight jump in to get involved oh, they're going to the pull, pull their phone out they're going to pull their phone out they're going to say exactly and they're going to say you have to watch this fist fight and then it becomes a thing well i think the guy who started the fight was a jerk well i think the guy who defended himself was the jerk, whatever and that's what it turns into but ultimately None of those other people are engaging in the fistfight, and if you we can create a society where the the, the 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 cost to get involved in politics is not as high as it is right now, which I think you know to some extent to get involved in politics you have to have a narcissistic streak a, a mile wide yeah uh, to like, deal with all the the, the media so scrutiny with that, and
2: uh, well that Myers Briggs test you know the the INTJs yeah or sure the, sure sure they sure. say there's a particular set uh, I don't remember the the one, but DC's full of them. And I, I would say, yeah, they're narcissists.
3: I mean, <laughs> and, and you know, I don't want to paint a blanket slate. There are definitely good people who are in politics. Sure. There are definitely people who mean well who are in politics. There are definitely people who are pragmatically trying to find solutions who are in politics. But there was a time when people thought of entering into public service as a duty they had to perform. If you were yeah. a leader of your community, you're a leader of any kind of standing, You was your job. And it wasn't about... Whatever federal gigantic thing that is the the the, the button pusher right now, mm-hmm. it it wasn't about it was about uh, uh, Miss Mary's road needs paving. Nobody's paving Miss Mary's road. Maybe if I jump on the board of supervisors, I can help her get her road paved. Right. Those practical kinds of things. You know what I'm talking about, man. And and the, and, and and you know, and, and I'm not putting a rose tint on the past because there's a. That's another thing. There's always been corruption. There's always been incompetence. There's all... None of this is new. The only thing that's new is we can all immediately have a deeply uninformed opinion instantaneously that we get to tell everybody about like we never did before.
2: Yep. I mean, just, uh, like, take the Maui away thing, and then next thing you know, there's a blue laser from space. And I was like, are y'all it's wild some of the takes I've no, heard. It's, wild. it's like and these are people that I know and I was like
3: you're being you're joking. Look, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, the the flat earth the flat earth thing is a perfect example of that. But there's a part of me too, man, that that thinks that I mean, at least 60% of everybody in the flat earth society is doing it because they think it's hilarious to be in the flat earth society. It's got to right? be a bit. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is.
2: I had a flat earther on here. Dave, oh really, Dave Weiss? Uh huh. And the whole time, dude, he was he was really trying to sell you uh, his app, because, <laughs> like you know, I, so, I, I would so, you know yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd ask him about you know I'd ask him about gravity, he'd be like doesn't exist. And I was like, can you expand on that? He's like, yeah, pay three nine nine in the app store and everything's explained. And he's, I was like, he, come he, on, man. He's
3: aware that the way the app works is because of satellite telemetry.
2: I asked him about and DPS. it only works if there's a round
3: wrong... <laughs> around. <laughs>
2: Yeah, not ready to have that conversation. It's
3: fine. And look, it's fine. It's, look, there there have been people selling snake oil since time began. Mm-hmm. Again, there is no magical time to look back to. There just really, really isn't. The guy, you know, this is kind of out of left field, but it's true. The guy who invented the lobotomy used to do it like a, a traveling medicine show. He would show up to your town and he would lobotomize. You know, your your wife's having a bad day put a couple of corkscrews in her eye socket and lobotomize her real quick, and then she'll feel right as rain. That happened in this country in the 20th century, okay? Nobody's lobotomizing people in the public square anymore. That's progress, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But there have always been people who were saying the world, I mean, I mean, the Flat Earth Society is actually pretty old. There's also a Hollow Earth Society.
2: The, which, that, they're a fun group. <laughs> And and sort of, sort of, I
3: wonder what happens if you get those two guys together.
2: Oh man, they've got to come together. Because <laughs> you
3: can't have we can't have both. Can't we?
2: So we figured out what happens at the end of the earth. What happens at the end of the earth? Hollow Earth.
3: Hollow Earth. <laughs> well, you know, I would actually encourage anybody who, um, who who's digging flat Earth to check out a guy named Terry Pratchett. Yeah, he is. Uh, he he was. He passed away a few years ago, but he was a, a, a British um, author. Famous for a series of books called The Disc World, which is 100% about a, a flat Earth. It also moves through space on the back of four giant elephants on the back of a giant turtle.
2: Yeah, that's the one I'm into. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah that, you if should, if you I, I had if I had that world, that would be the I've got world. a giant map of the Disc World yeah. hanging up in there right now. <laughs> Sturgill
2: Simpson uh, is flat on a turtle's
3: back. Turtles, turtles all, all the way, the way down. down. Mm-hmm. And turtles all the way down goes back to an old Hindu thing, yep. right? So... so th- the the idea is to i think is to move forward not to try to recreate something that never existed but to move forward i mean like like the united states i think is is a perfect example of all this stuff we're talking about right it is objectively true that thomas jefferson was a slave owner mm-hmm. which is i mean i don't think it's controversial to say that's among the most despicable things a human being can be right It is objectively true that he um, had relations with people that he, at the time, legally owned. I don't know how much more despicable you can get than that. But it is also true that the words he wrote are the foundation for any idea of us moving forward as a species together. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is critical to understand that that monster person said something that revolutionary at a time where that kind of thinking did not, it just didn't exist in a political arena. Mm-hmm. And the de- the intellectual, at least, debt we owe those words are the way we can... I mean, s- social justice is based on, on that. The idea that this country can be something more than all these little warring states, you know, at the time... In, in, in Europe and all built on all this history and crap and, and, and animosity that we could be something else whether it was objectively the case or not at the time at least a guiding light was, was provided and so again it's remembering that nobody really knows what they're talking about and you have to train yourself to be able to find the things that help and the things that don't without getting too lost in, in, in the particulars. I can think Thomas Jefferson was a terrible human being, and I can also understand that he's the intellectual basis for what this country could be in the best way possible.
2: Did I feel the same way about, like, uh, the Unabomber? Like, <laughs> I've uh, I've I've read his
3: mani- I, I've, I've I've read his manifesto. I think Ted Kaczynski probably shot himself on the on foot, murdering the crap out of people. I, I get I get, what but like
2: hey, get but like, like his thought. thoughts on technology is like where are we are today.
3: I think you know, the, look, that's right. There are some good points Kaczynski made. I, I look, man, absolutely. But yeah, I, I mean, love the, I love the fact that what's happening right now is we just mentioned Thomas Jefferson Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, welcome that's to a, Forced I, I Out. I doubt that's ever happened before, um, but I totally get what you mean. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That yeah. said, you know, um, blowing the hell up out of people to get people to, 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 to not buy an iPhone is not terribly That's effective. not the way. That's right. <laughs> I think the way that you do it is you do it through uh, um, forcing yourself to get outside your comfort zone my best friend in the world, he and I politically are as diametrically opposed as two people can possibly be. Mm-hmm. But every time he and I sit down, I learn something new. And I have to force myself to really say, okay, why is it I believe this particular thing? Mm-hmm. Why is it that I take for granted that this is what is good, right, just, and true? And, and I hope, at least to a certain extent, he, he walks away same. from the conversations doing exactly the same thing. I would do anything for that guy and, 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 and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I doubt a, a ballot that we've ever voted on would look anything alike. Demographically doesn't make sense, but I respect him for the m- human being that he is. And, and, you know, again, vice versa. And I respect his capacity to be, uh, uh that, that, that everything he's thinking about, he's really, really thought about, and he's not just relying on his own intuition, his own good old common sense, but he's relying on the words of people who, 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 who also thought about this stuff, and, and, you know, it is so important, and in some ways so lost that and I think I mentioned this earlier. Everybody absolutely has a right to an opinion, but having that right also means that you bear the responsibility to form that opinion, and sometimes that means sticking your toes in waters that you don't want to stick in. Yeah, and also. But that said, when you Nazis put, are all bad, just so we're clear. No good Nazis.
2: Nope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and when you put your opinion out there, like uh, you need to have your mind open enough to. If someone comes That's right, with, so, with critique, yeah. Um, so my and, and to inform your opinion and so, let it be modable, you know. So,
3: so my um, graduate thesis, I guess my, my, my expertise is on uh, media literacy as it pertains to something called social identity theory. Um, social identity theory is interesting because social identity theory. There's a guy named Renee Tashfall, uh, um, who is a psychologist. And he did this experiment, and I'll, and I'll be quick. I know we've been talking for a while, but he, um, he got a group of young men who were diverse in every demographic, except they were like between, I think, 18 and 22, and they were all men. And some of them, he said, you're on the red. No, they didn't know each other. None of them knew each other. He said, now, you're on the red team, and you're on the blue team. Mm-hmm. Split them up. They weren't allowed to speak to one another. Then he just had them a- answer a series of questions that just asked them, what they thought of the people on the red team versus the people on the blue team guess what happened people on the red team thought people on the red team were awesome and people on the blue team sucked and people on the blue team felt people on the blue team were awesome and people mm-hmm. on the blue team sucked there was no other input other than you're split into these groups yeah that is the secret to everything right there because once you are once you have decided that you're going to be in this group, your entire personality and self is made. And by the way, everybody does that. I do this. You do this. Yep. If you like a football, if you like a football team, you know what I am talking yeah. about. If
2: you like Mississippi State, you're not going to be a Ole Miss fan.
3: You're not, and that's exactly right. And you're de- also defined by the antagonist toward whatever group that. You're What's one in. of the
2: first questions you get asked when you come to this great state? Is it going to be maroon and white, or is it is it blue and red?
3: And imagine growing up black and gold, buddy. <laughs> that other team <laughs> that other team that's right <laughs> to the top by the way um, and but, but this is what all people do and in yeah. the absence of education genu- genuine education I'm not talking about watching YouTube videos but genuine education in the absence of, of, of real intellectual rigor in the absence of humility we all revert to that team mentality yeah We Those dirty Republicans or those filthy Democrats. Mm -hmm. I can't believe. And it makes Thanksgiving dinners impossible.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because you're going to have that one uncle.
3: You're going to have that one uncle. He's coming in. You're going to have that one uncle. (laughs) And that's not to say that one uncle knows what he's talking about either. But if we can all err on the side of kindness and look ourselves in the eye and realize how fundamentally— ridiculous we all are then the only rational thing to do is laugh real hard and hug the other person's neck
2: right on that's a great place to end it Wade thank you so much I enjoyed
3: it Alan you have
1: a good one buddy alright when Jesus Christ died his body turned into dust no it wasn't special His body turned into dust And no, it wasn't special dust Just plain old dust How holy is your water How righteous is your name Could you sing it in a choir Or do they shout it Something. Is it more like that Mississippi river? Or is it meek as a morning rain Could you hold on to it forever and ever? Would it slip away like a dream? was made from